This is Come and See from St. Andrew's Anglican Church for February 22nd, Ash Wednesday. The Gospel is taken from the book of Matthew, chapter 6, verses 1 through 6 and 16 through 21. The message is by Father Ron Baird. Today is Ash Wednesday. It's the first day of Lent. One of the things you'll notice if you read Scripture is it never says anything about Lent in it. Um, and in fact, the word itself isn't a religious word. It, it means really the lengthening of days because we're now entering into that season where the days start getting longer. And, and it got that title really because this time period, this 40 days, um, is a time period when the church from almost its inception, not quite, but almost its inception, would set aside time for people to really pay attention to their faith. That's not to say that you shouldn't be paying attention to your faith all the time, but it's a time to make a concerted effort to do that. And for those of us who've gotten lazy during the year, not that any of you all did that, but but for those of you who did, it's a time to renew that faith and come back. And, and to prepare yourself for the power of what Jesus has done in the cross and for the miracle, the resurrection, and new life in the resurrection that he can bring to us through that power. And so the lengthening of days is just sort of that time period. It lasts for 40 days, but if you actually counted it between now and Easter, it would be more than 40 days because it doesn't count Sundays. Now, that's an important thing that people tend to forget because there are four tools that we ask people to use in preparing for the, the, um, the coming of, of Easter and for the self-examination that we're called to do. And all too often, you know, people give up something for Lent. Um, I always like it now. That changes. I even heard on a TV program tonight that, well, some people give up saying some people uh, take on things. And I was thinking, well, actually, it's not really optional. I mean, <laughs> there's actually four things if you want to use all the tools. That's sort of like saying, well... I want to be a Christian, and I want to follow God, um, but let's see, I'll agree to cross myself, but I'm not going to church and reading the Bible and doing all that other stuff. I mean, <laughs> I guess it's good that you're remembering he died on a cross for you, but it doesn't really grow you in your faith. There are actually four tools that you really need to, to use to go deeper in your faith and to become closer to Jesus so that you can become more like him. And so we do that beginning with Ash Wednesday. And on Sundays, we it's a feast day. It's not part of the penitential time. It's a part of the time to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord. Every Sunday is a, a mini day of resurrection. And so if you gave up chocolate um, during Lent, you should actually eat chocolate on Sundays. Because not to eat chocolate on Sundays would actually be telling the Lord, well, I know you were raised from the dead to forgive me of my sins, but that's too bad. I've got to wait before I can take it in. Which wouldn't make much sense if you think about it. No, we celebrate on Sundays. That's what Sundays are for. They're celebrations of what God has done in Jesus Christ because it was on that day that he was raised from the dead. Now, it does seem like a strange way to start Lent, doesn't it? You know, you come to church, and what do I tell you? So you are dust. Modern translation would be, you are toast. But (laughs) you're nothing but dust. Now, in an intellectual kind of way, we know that, don't we? I mean, you know, we know everybody's mortal and everybody dies. But we don't really live like that, do we? We don't really contemplate the fact that we 
actually are dust and we will die. We live as though we have a right to the life that we have, that we have a right to breathe. As a matter of fact, it's become very popular. Probably the, the most widespread heresy in the church today is that people will tell you that everyone is a child of God. You ever heard that? Well, I tell you this, but everyone isn't a child of God. There is actually only one begotten Son of God, and that's Jesus Christ. The rest of us, according to St. Paul anyway, can be adopted into his family and grafted into the vine, as Jesus would say in John, and become part of his family if we would so choose. But we don't automatically get it. You know, it's not immediately ours, just by virtue of our birth. I remember Bishop Thompson, some of you have been around a long time may remember Bishop Thompson from back, used to have this wonderful story about his son Owen, who's now a priest, which makes the story even better. But he said when Owen was a teenager, he was just terrible to deal with. And Owen was, you know, they were fighting back and forth one day, and Owen goes, well, I didn't ask to be born. And Bishop Thompson said, and it's a good thing you didn't, because I would have said no. <laughs> But in reality, a lot of us act as though I have a right to be here. I have a right to my life. And, and the truth is, is that we don't have a right to it. It is a gift for us. That's not the same thing as a right. If you think you have a right to it, die and then bring yourself back to life. Then I'll believe you've got a right to it. Because if you can do that, you probably do. Jesus says that, doesn't he? He says, I will lay my life down, but then I will take it up again. He has a right. We have a gift. And so we begin Lent by marking our foreheads with ashes that are from the palms, actually, that were burned um, when everybody's shouting Hosanna the highest from the previous Sunday, to remind ourselves of our mortal nature and of the fact that we are creatures of God first. And we are only children of God through adoption. And it's not because we want to feel bad about ourselves. It's because we want to remind ourselves of what an incredible gift that has been given to us in this Jesus that we have. And so we, we you know, want to embrace it. We want to take it seriously. We want to uh, go deeper in it. We want to become more and more like him. We want to grow into the full stature of Christ, as Paul says elsewhere. You know, we want, we want to become like Jesus. And so... We begin by this mark. Now, it's kind of an interesting, I always thought it was funny that on Ash Wednesday, we read these lessons, and one of the things it says is, and when you fast, do not disfigure your face like the hypocrites do. But what, and then we go and put ashes on everybody's head. Um, most every year I get the question, so should I wash the ashes off of my head, or is it okay to leave them on? And, and what I always tell people, well, that would depend. It would depend on why you have them on. Now, if you're going to put the ashes on your head so that you can go out and have everybody look at you and say, oh, there's really a holy person because they went to church today. They must be really be special. Then, no, you should wash it off. If you want to go out to remind people, because the sign is what? You know what we make on your forehead? A cross. The sign is of your mortal nature, of your total need and dependence upon God alone for life, real life. 
And so if you want to do that as a witness to what Christ has done through the cross, that's a good reason to do it. As a matter of fact, all the things that are listed there in the scripture about, you know, when you give alms, do it. Don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. When you pray, go into your uh, room and pray in secret. All of those things have one thing in common to them, and that's what is it that the hypocrites are doing? Why do they do things? To show off. So everybody will think they're really special. Well, if that's why you do anything, it's for the wrong reason. Because if you're trying to convince your boss, your spouse, your friends, your neighbors, anybody about how special you are, then I just want, to, again, to ask you to do one, get them to do one thing for you. Say, you know, could you raise me from the dead? Because if they can do that, then they're probably worth doing it for. Other than that, you should only play to an audience of one. And that one is God. And in particular, as he's revealed himself in his son, Jesus Christ. That's the only person you need to please, is Jesus Christ. Because the truth is, is your boss can fire you. Well, that's true. But he can't raise you from the dead. Which one would you rather have? A job or to to die forever? You know, and we need to remember who it was that made us and why he made us. And so when, when the lessons are talking about that we should do these things in secret, It doesn't mean don't let anybody know what's going on, because we all have a secret place. Do you know what that is? Our hearts. Only God can read our hearts. Nobody else really knows why we do what we do. They may guess. They may think they know. But God sees what's really inside of us. And what he's saying is that when you do that, you should do it from your heart. For the right reasons, whatever those things are. Because if you're doing them for other reasons, you're wasting your time. You'll get your reward, which is that everybody will be very impressed. Now, which one would you rather have? A reward from God or have a bunch of people be very impressed? Because that's really the option. And so we gather for 40 days to spend time doing four things and encouraging one another to do those four things so that we can see how it is that we have not yet achieved the full stature of Christ. So has anybody here gotten to the full stature of Christ? Because if you are, I'm going to sit down and let you finish the sermon, but because <laughs> I don't need to. Have you done it? You know, all of us have a long way to go before we get there, don't we? And I look back on my life and I think, wow, I can't believe how far I've come in 30 years. And then I look in the other direction and go, wow, I can't believe how far I have to go <laughs> before I get there. I mean, that's amazing. And I'm thinking, I didn't realize I was that far away back 30 years ago. I probably wouldn't have even started. I mean, it would have been too frightening. But the truth is we all have growth and holiness and righteousness to do. And so the four things are fairly simple. The first one is fasting. Now, fasting doesn't mean to make things go quickly. Somehow or other, we always change the meanings of words in English. You know, the only place where fasting is used in the same sense now, other than some people who are religious know what fasting is because they fast from food. But, but most of the time when we talk about fasting, we only talk about it in one time of day. What is that? Breakfast. Yeah, we break our fast from the night before. That one most of us know. Bring on the bacon. I mean, <laughs> we can figure that one out. We break our fast, which means we weren't eating, and now we're going to. And that's where giving up something for Lent comes from. It means sacrificing something. And what should you sacrifice? 
We should sacrifice something that's important to you, something that you would actually miss, something that will make a difference. Not necessarily something, by the way, that's going to torture you and make you miserable. That's not really the point. But something that you would have to consciously be aware of, the fact that you've given it up. You know, the hardest thing that I give up, and the same way every year, the hardest thing I give up is I give up red meat on Fridays. Now, you might think, well, why is that such a big deal? You can eat red meat the other six days. That's because on Fridays I have to remember that I've given it up and why. Because I wouldn't necessarily think about it otherwise. And so that, that's hard. A lot of times I've had people do things like they give up smoking. Anybody here ever give up smoking for Lent or have we gotten past all those days? Nobody smoked anymore. Used to be probably the number one thing that was given up for Lent, I think. That and chocolate were the two biggies. And I always tell people when they say, well, I think I'm going to give up smoking for Lent. I said, well, it'd be good for you to give up smoking, but there is a problem. And they say, what's that? I said, because on Sundays you're supposed to smoke. And they say, well, I couldn't do that. If I did that, I'd, I'd be smoking again on Monday. And I go, well, then maybe you ought to pick something different <laughs> than that. Look, and the other thing you shouldn't pick is you shouldn't pick something you hate. I mean, it really doesn't do, it wouldn't help me in the least to give up liver. Because <laughs> I'm not going to eat it anyway. You know, George H.W. Bush, um, it wouldn't have done him any good to give up broccoli. So, although a lot of little kids would really like to give up lima beans, I think. Um, no, you should give up something that you really notice. Uh, Something that will make a difference. Something that draws your attention to the fact that you are sacrificing something. Now, why is it so important to sacrifice something? That's really the issue. Well, the reason why is because, particularly in our society, it becomes very easy to think that we can make it on our own. And so when we sacrifice something that's difficult to give up, we begin to realize how hard it is to make it on our own. And it's to remind us of our need for our total dependence of God. You see, the goal of giving something up, by the way, isn't to make it all the way through Lent and never have fallen from that. You know, I don't know, a lot of people seem to think, oh, good, I made it. And I always tell people, well, if you can do it that easily, then chances are you need to pick something else. Because that's simple. No, the goal isn't to be successful in what you gave up. The goal is to realize how much you need Jesus Christ for life. How much you need to be dependent upon him. How much the cross really means to you. Because how easy it is to take him for granted. And to follow in the ways of the world. And so we give up something. Again, not to punish ourselves. But to remind ourselves. The second thing that we are called to do during Lent is to pray daily. Now, I know many of you have started using the Jesus prayer, Lord Jesus Christ, Son of God, have mercy on me, as a way of centering yourself and and listening for the voice of God. And if you've done that successfully every day, God bless you. That's wonderful. Um, Keep it up. Redouble your efforts. I suspect there are one or two of you here who may not be praying every day. Not that Christians would ever do that. Well, and and the oh God things during football or basketball games don't count, by the way. Uh, So... um, But by prayer, what I mean is talking and listening to God, having a conversation with him. Because it becomes very easy for us to forget that our God is not a dead God. He's not an absent God. He's here. He wants to walk with us and talk with us. 
He actually has an opinion, believe it or not. You know, he's not just saying, well, don't bother me until it's important. What kind of loving father would do that? No, he wants us to listen to him. You know, we just heard in the lesson last Sunday. What did the voice from heaven say in the mountain when, with Moses and Elijah? This is my beloved son, what? Listen to him. Listen to him. That's the goal, is to learn to listen to Jesus. And so if you haven't developed that, then now's a good time to start. Now, I realize you may, not, you may think, well, I don't have three hours a day to sit and listen to God or to pray. And, and that's sad, but what about one minute? Can you take 60 seconds to have a chat with God? I suspect that your spouse wouldn't be happy with it. If you said, I'm giving you 60 seconds a day, that's all you get. But are you willing to begin the discipline to remind yourselves of the need to be in conversation and in relationship with Jesus? Because that's really the point. See, that's why the Pharisees were so off base when they would go pray on the streets for it to be seen by everybody. You know, I'm sure God's going, so exactly who is it that they are talking to anyway? Because <laughs> they don't seem to be talking to me. They seem to be talking to everybody around them. And that's not the point. So prayer every day in a conversation with God. If you haven't gotten to the point where you hear his voice yet, that's even more important to do it. Because generally when we don't hear his voice... And we believe it's not because he isn't talking. It's because we have so much busyness in our lives that we can't tune out the static to hear him. You ever been in a restaurant where they had the music real loud and it's real packed and everybody's talking louder so they can talk over the music so they turn the music up? I was out with some parishioners one night uh, at a place for dinner and, and as we were sitting across the booth from each other talking, all I could tell was the person was going... Had no idea what they were saying because I couldn't hear it at all, but... Sometimes I think that's what it's like in our relationship with God. So we need to take some time. If, if, you're, if five minutes is too much, take one minute. If, if ten minutes is too much, take five minutes. I mean, but find a place to begin that discipline and practice it. The third thing that we're called to do is, is um, we have fasting, prayer, is study. To actually take something up, as they say. Um, and particularly to meditate on God's Word. Now, that doesn't have to just be Scripture, although Scripture's a really good place to go, if you, particularly if you're not real familiar with it. But there are also lots of great Christians throughout the years who've written on subjects, and when you read them, what you will find is they're telling you an awful lot of Scripture. I mean, that's one way you know if it was a great thing, is you'll know, are they going back to Scripture or not? Because then you'll know whether or not they're really talking about Jesus. But to spend time each day... You know, learning more about your God, getting to know him a little bit better, you know, coming to, to be with him a little bit more. You know, don't you love to sit and hear the stories of other generations and, you know, like your parents as you've gotten older? Haven't you really wanted to ask them about things, particularly in my generation? Because my, gener- my dad and my generation's dad, they were in World War II, you know, Growing up, we never asked any questions. I mean, I grew up during Vietnam. You know, you didn't like people in the Army. I just pretended my dad never was in it, which was interesting because he met my mom in Germany after the war, but <laughs> I don't know how that happened. But, um, but to find out, what are the stories? Because in, particularly in our society, we miss it so much. I mean, we don't have that time after dinner when everybody goes and sits on the front porch and just talks and just remembers. 
It's gone. For parents, it's a great thing for you to do with your kids. Tell the stories of what it was like when you were a kid. The kinds of things you used to do. The values that you were given and, and why that would be important. And why you now believe it's important. What did you think about it then? All of those things are ways to transmit who we are and what our values are. Well, the same is true for God. He wants us to know his story. He wants us to know who he is and how he reveals himself. And scripture and, and you know, the great uh, Christian thinkers of the day, all those people, you know, whether you're reading about Paul or James or John or whether you're reading about St. Athanasius or, or any of those people, all of those people who have, are in, have encountered a living God, not a dead God or an absent God, but a, a God who actually walks with them and talks with them. And it helps you to come to know him a little bit better so that you can know how to live out your life that he's given you a little more clearly. And then the fourth thing that we're called to do is called almsgiving. I had somebody at 12 o'clock, they said, what is alms? What's an alm? I thought, well, that's interesting. We probably don't really use that word much anymore, do we? You know, talk about alms. They used to have alms boxes in the back of churches. They didn't take up a collection. They had an alms box. It's really an offering. It's where you give away um, something to help those who are less fortunate than you are. And some people have a little box or jar at home. They put a quarter in every day or put their spare change in and collect it. Some people um, you know, have a certain amount that they dedicate it to. Some people make a pledge to some uh, group or some ministry or something that they think is important. Now, this is above and beyond the tithe, by the way. A lot of people think, oh, I'm going to include that in my tithe. And we tend to forget that actually the tithe is the minimal standard of giving in Scripture, not the maximum. It's not, you're not allowed to give more than that. Because in honesty, when you die, how much of you do you want to give to God? I mean, you want 90% of you going to hell? That wouldn't work real well, would it? And, and trust me, when you die, you can't keep 90% of it. I had a senior warden once who was very, very wealthy. And uh, he, he heard me preach about, you know, you can't take it with you when you go. And he said to me, he said, Ron, I know you're always saying that you can't take it with you when you go. And I know that. I want you to know that. And I said, well, I'm glad to know that you know that, Bartow. And he goes, that's why I have Nidra. She's going to bring it. Now, Nidra lived for about 20 years after he died. So he was without it for a long time, even if she did. But, but you know, we need to realize our dependence upon God. And one way to realize our dependence upon God is by realizing what a blessing we have. Because sometimes in life it becomes very easy to focus on my problem, my difficulty, my financial struggle, my relationship struggle, my idiot of a boss, you know, whatever it is. But the truth is, particularly in this country, you'd be hard-pressed not to find somebody who's worse off than you are. I mean, there are always people who struggle, and there are always people who have less. And so, so we give alms, and it can be money. I mean, it's a good way to do it, to collect money. And by the way, I'm not talking about collect money for the church. It's not part of our fundraising thing. I mean, that's not the point of it. It's to give to those in need. And we, we have a collection each Sunday that goes to people in need and to support things. If that's what you want to pick, that's fine. But that's not necessary. But you need to pick something. You know, find some place of need that God would want you to contribute towards. And it's not even so much the amount that is the issue. 
It's more the, the principle of reminding ourselves. Like every time, if all you do is put a penny in there, then you remind yourself every time you put the penny in there that I'm really blessed by God. I mean, that's important. It gets you away from dwelling on your own problems and into seeing how blessed you truly are. Another thing you can do and is, is you